because we all know that they're going to burn him alive in a giant wicker man. burned welcome back to watch fix everybody my name is sarah and today we are finally looking at the 2006 comedy remake of the wicker man i recently purchased this on dvd for 99s of whole pence and uh unfortunately the version i have is the director's cut so there was more of it which was just fantastic i have a little bit of personal history with this film and by personal history I mean shame because way back when it came out in 2006 uh, I had been practicing wicker actually for a, a little while I think I was about 15 or 16 by this point uh, so therefore old enough to watch this movie which is itself a 15 uh, and it was in the days when you would rent films from blockbusters and take them to sleepovers because I'm old and this is one that I chose to rent having seen the adverts for it and I took it to a sleepover and there is a particular kind of shame associated with having brought the shit film to a sleepover. We watched this movie, I remember I watched it with Vanda when we were like obviously teenagers and it was just so boring. My lingering memory of it is just watching Nicolas Cage walk through the woods like it was some sort of ASMR chillaxing video of just a man walking through a woods for six hours. The film is actually not that long. I was surprised, uh, having rewatched it just now, that it did not go on for five years as I remembered it doing. So um, that, was, that was a little bit strange. I am currently three iced coffees in the hole and we're ready to do this. So I'm going to jump in. I have no specific trigger warnings for this aside from some gore, which I think you can probably expect in horror films, and there is some uh, violence against women, although I feel like that's in a lot of films, so uh, yeah, just, just so that you know, Nicolas Cage punches a few women in this film. So the plot of this movie is very similar to the original Wicker Man. Most of the big moments are just duplicated with very little change. Uh, there are a few extra bits that they've put in and obviously they have Americanized the story. So instead of being a Scottish policeman, the main character is Edward Malice, who is a motorcycle cop in America. And we are introduced to him in a diner where his partner Pete is eating a cheeseburger and sporting a moustache. And so is basically everything I've come to expect of American police. But Edward is different because he has the distinguishing characteristics of liking salad and also buying self-help tapes from a carousel in the diner. The specific one he buys is called Everything's Okay which is hilarious because everything is not okay and will never be okay for him again. We see him motorcycling around, writing tickets for people, and then he is following a sort of suburban car uh, when a doll flies out of the window and he bends down to the side on his motorcycle, snatches it up, then pulls the car over to give it back. And it is revealed that the woman driving the car is a sort of young blonde lady. She has a young blonde daughter in the back wearing a red cardigan and pigtails. And when he gives the doll back to her, she just like throws it out of the car window again. So he has to go and get it from where she's thrown it on the road. So uh, I would have maybe given her a ticket, but he's just like, ah, ha, ha, don't, don't worry, your little self, little lady. I'm going to go pick this doll up. And then wham, the car gets like hit by a van or a lorry truck, a semi, and gets completely like knocked off the road. 
and uh, set on fire. Not clear what happens to the truck. Maybe it just keeps going, but it's not in like the ensuing scene. So I guess it just carried on its merry way. Anywho, he tries to rescue the little girl from the back of the, the flaming car by bashing the window in with his helmet and reaching forward to her saying like, take my hand. But she just stares at him confusedly like, what's the big whoop, daddy-o? And, and then the car blows up, sending him to the ground unconscious. We catch up with Edward in his home, where he's watching a western, which I'll come back to later, wearing his like police issue sweats <laughs> that they give you to, I assume, wear when you're in a depression bout after watching a girl get beamed by a truck. Very specific need for those sweatpants. But uh, a female cop who is also blonde comes to his house to drop off his post and she mentions that he got a commendation. I would ask for what because really all he did was stand there while two people died but I guess give him a commendation for that. He does to his credit seem to be lukewarm on the subject of this is considering resigning his post and leaving the police altogether. He's called back into action because he's received a letter from a lady called Willow. This is a letter sealed with wax on parchment in calligraphy which goes unremarked upon but he reads it and it says basically that she's his ex-girlfriend and her daughter Rowan has been missing for several weeks on the island of Summer's Isle and she needs his help. The female cop also reveals that they never found the bodies of the two people in the car and the car was not registered. Not just not registered to them or anyone matching the description, but never registered at all. So that's concerning and strange. Edward, because he is a keen detective, Googles Summersile and comes across literally just a page that sells bee products. Not even like a Wikipedia page or any information about the island itself, just, just their business page, which has the same seal of a bee on it. Um, so obviously they there's a, a lot to do with bees on this island. He then gets a weird hang-up call, which is never explained or repeated, so maybe it was just a coincidence. He then goes to see Pete at the police station and remarks that the letter has no stamp, so it was clearly hand-delivered, but they, they don't know who brought that in because I guess he, his police work is very specific and he's not going to look into that. He reveals that Willow is not just an ex-girlfriend, but his ex-fiance and that she ran away and I guess jilted him. His partner Pete warns him about getting involved because Pete is smart, but Edward decides that he's going to go out to the farming commune, which is where Willow grew up, and so proceeds to catch a ferry out to get to Summer's Isle. Before he can get there, however, he does need to take a seaplane because I guess that's what the cop did in the original movie, so we're gonna do it again. So he takes a boat and then a seaplane. He has to bribe that guy to take him there and gets dropped off before finally arriving on Summer's Isle, where cell phones and phones in general do not work. So already we've got him cut off from everybody. He gets the same speech as in, in the original movie, as in like, this is private property, you don't have permission to be here. But he says that he's a cop and his job is to help people, which given the current political climate, bullshit is it. But I think it's quite interesting that this is his stance on being a policeman and what we've seen so far of him in the film is that he is this kind of like Mayberry-ish policeman in idyllic America where he just drives around giving people parking tickets and eating burgers and helping people and he's the hero who saves the little girl and that's very much his kind of persona and I think it's interesting that 
I guess one of the themes of the film is that this idea of law enforcement being for good and his idea that he is the hero of the story when actually to everyone else he, he very much isn't. So that's a very interesting theme and probably not one that was intentional, but I'll give the movie the benefit of the doubt. While he's having the conversation about the whole area being private property, two men are holding a wiggling human-sized bag that is dripping blood all over the ground and Edward's just like hey your bag's dripping and then they show him what's inside it but we don't get to see that because one of them like shakes the bag and makes him jump back and then they all laugh at him but seriously what was in that bag it's never revealed I guess maybe it was just how they get their beef but it's 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 very confusing as to what would have been in that bag He's then sent to the meeting house, which is basically the village inn, and uh, there are only women in there. He comments that it must be ladies' night, even though it is the middle of the day, and that makes no sense. He meets Sister Birch, who runs the bar, and uh, he gets some mead from her, which she says contains honey and herbs and other things. I don't know if those other things are meant to be hallucinogenic, but this is neither confirmed nor denied. And he is hallucinating about the, the crash before he even gets to the island because he sees the girl get run over by a truck, but while on the ferry. I don't know why that line is there. He then meets Willow and she seems very big eyed and frightened. So she's playing her part beautifully. He then thumps his bad on the counter and loudly announces that he is the law and he is there to do law stuff, and then he's told, well, you're the law from California. This is technically Washington, so even if this wasn't just like private property, we don't recognise your authority, he is legitimately not the authority here. But again, he seems to think that he is entitled to just come in and act as the law, even when by his own standards of the society he comes from, he has no jurisdiction here. He's also just generally quite condescending and rude to people not in the same way as in the original film where the, the guy just kind of viewed them all as like heathens who were weird and ungodly this guy just sort of treats them with this kind of sense that they are wrong stupid and uneducated and he is better than them and that he has the backing of this whole like system behind him he's very complacent and arrogant and I mean, we all know what's going to happen to him, so it doesn't really work that well. He then kills a bee, bad move, uh, and says that he's allergic. I don't know why you choose to try and squash a bee if you're allergic. Like, Wouldn't you just avoid the bee? But he kills it and everyone acts like this is a very terrible offence, which it is. The bees are dying, guys. We need them for farming. He then gets a secret note from Willow that says to believe nothing and to meet her secretly elsewhere, so... Clearly she is afraid of something. He meets her and demands to know like where she went and why she ran away. It doesn't seem like he's overly concerned about the missing girl at this point. He just wants to know about Willow and demand these answers from her. Also, she never mentions like a husband or another man or a partner. So it's pretty clear that Rowan is Edward's daughter, but he does not get this until it is told to him much later because I guess he's stupid and he can't work out basic maths. Anyway, Willow dances around the questions, gives him doe eyes and no real answers, and then uh, she says that the only person she trusts is Edward, which is why the father of Rowan, who goes unnamed, hasn't been called in. And it's obvious that Edward is 
that man. She says that Rowan must still be on the island and then a bell rings and she has to go somewhere else so they say they'll meet later. He unpacks his things including two B-Epi syringes uh, but he notices that his self-help tapes are gone because I guess these cultists strike when you are at your weakest without your self-help tapes. That evening he overhears a meeting of some women who have come to the meeting house to discuss how tomorrow is the wicker rat man's return and the cycle of death and rebirth, various ominous shit like that, including a pair of blind twins, because this movie just thinks that chucking in people with disfigurements or disabilities is the same as making it a horror film, which it isn't. We then get the first of many dream sequences, all of which involve reliving the, the moment of the crash, um, which we don't really need to see again because it, it was fairly simple and we got it the first time, but we're shown it many times. He then sees a little girl running around outside at night. She's blonde with pigtails and a red cardigan, so identical to Rowan, but also to the girl in the car crash. He doesn't seem to make this connection or find it suspicious. Uh, but there you go. He chases her out into the woods and... As she enters the woods, there's a weird slurping noise like she's being sucked up by the trees. It's an odd choice. Uh, he follows her into the woods and finds a weird barn with cows, so I guess there's a thriving dairy industry on this island. He looks around the barn, there's creepy music, the film seems to have tried to remember that it's a horror film. He, he walks around for a bit, finds some pigeons and then falls through some rotted planks and the movie treats this like indiana jones accidentally driving off a cliff it's like harrowing danger action music as he tries to pull himself up so that moment of peril is um somehow still boring and he then goes back to the meeting house, I guess, assuming that he will never find the girl who he definitely chased out here. The next day at breakfast, he has like this empty squeezy bottle in the shape of a bear on his table and is told that they're out of honey and that it's store-bought honey because they have none of their own because the crop was cursed last year, so troubling. He then notices all of the harvest pictures on the wall. Again, these, these moments are just taken straight out of the original uh, and the most recent one is missing, having been apparently broken the previous night. Unfortunately, he didn't notice that then. One of the other barmaids, whose name I just did not get, um, then asks him to take her with him uh, and he seems a bit freaked out by this and leaves without questioning her further. He goes instead to the school because apparently Willow is delivering the school lunches and because we have to do the whole school scene from the original movie. Basically that goes entirely as it occurred in the original. On the way there he does meet uh, a group of pregnant women. Their presence is never expanded upon which is a shame uh, but he again walks into a lesson about phallic symbols, is condescending to the teacher and students, accuses them all of lying and then finds uh, Rowan's name on the register confirming that she does actually exist. He also gets jump scared by a crow and then loudly exclaims that he has authority here, he has authority because this is a legal matter. So again the film doesn't seem to be about religions at war, it just seems to be about a patriarchal incursion upon a matriarchal society, which definitely could have worked and could have been a good idea if the film had been made completely differently, but unfortunately it just doesn't really fit that well and they don't really make the most use of the, the symbolism that they have, so it kind of falls a bit flat. Although I do appreciate some aspects of it and we'll all get into that in a bit. 
when the teacher reveals her name is Rose, there's a great Nicolas Cage moment where he just goes, oh, of course, another plant, Rose. As if he's, like, solved some great big conspiracy, except he's met, like, Sister Oak and Sister Birch and Rowan and Willow, and it's abundantly obvious that all these people are named after plants. So it just makes him look like he's really slow on the uptake here uh, and not, you know, detective material. Sister Rose then reveals that Rowan is what he would call dead. She, she never really goes into what they would call that but they definitely buried her she says that rowan died in an accident and refuses to elaborate and edward asks where her body is and is told that she is buried in the churchyard so he goes to investigate that after another lengthy walk in the woods rose however does initially stumble and says that rowan will be burned to death but then corrects herself and says burned to death so it's sort of like a tense thing like that it's going to happen versus it has happened obviously this is meant to draw him in deeper and give him a sense of peril he finds on his way to the churchyard a woman who is identical to sister rose but who is like more tanned and working outside cutting sticks i guess to make a wicker man we don't really find out her name and i don't think she appears again but this could have been quite interesting because we already had the uh, blind twins so this would have been another set of twins and a lot of very similar girls were at the school so this idea that there are twins I think could have been a, given a bit more play could have been added like an extra layer of mystery to the story like maybe Rowan had a twin uh, maybe he was initially confused as to why he kept seeing her around the island uh, but no they don't really do anything with that he arrives at the churchyard and finds a fresh grave, but then Willow turns up and says that that's not Rowan's grave. This has all been orchestrated by the same people who took Rowan and she doesn't know who to trust. He also finds that the entrance to the flooded crypt, why do they have this, uh, has been recently padlocked. So maybe something is hidden in there, but again, he doesn't go in there for the longest time. Uh, Willow then says that they're going to hurt Rowan because uh, Sister Summer's Isle dislikes Willow and her wild ways for the fact that I guess she left the island and met Edward with his wild and free disposition and his love of salads. This is also when Willow drops the very obvious truth bomb that uh, Edward is in fact Rowan's father. And I thought this was kind of interesting because the movie doesn't make this point at all, but this is something that I've I guess read into it occasionally you'll see like posts and things on instagram or signs at, at feminists like feminist protests because a lot of people try and get through to misogynistic men by saying well that woman is someone's daughter she's someone's sister or wife but then the kind of feminist movement comes back and says well she is somebody in her own right and she doesn't have value or importance because she is attached to a man but i think it is kind of interesting how it's only when Rowan is revealed to be his daughter that Edward really starts to chase down what has happened to her with specific motivation. Like before that he is investigating, he's mildly flummoxed by everyone's attitudes. But from here on out, he does seem to take it really personally and to, to get more involved. And it's sort of like he now feels ownership of Rowan and now it's not just him investigating the disappearance of willow's daughter he's investigating like almost the theft of his property which is an interesting idea 
again, I wish the film had kind of, if it was going to go patriarchy versus matriarchy, if it had gone more like whole hog and made it more obvious. Uh, as it is, it doesn't really stand up that well. Edward then searches Rowan's room, which is basically empty because all of her things went missing at the same time as she did, which is disturbing, but he never really cottons onto that as a weird thing to have happened. But there you go. He's told that Rowan likes to draw, but also Rowan likes to swim. Uh, which comes into play later because I think her ability to hold her breath for quite a long time um, makes some of the latter scenes a bit more interesting. Edward also finds out that Dr Moss is the one who takes the photographs on the island, so that's a lead he's going to, I guess, waste no time in following up. Except first he decides to go to the newly arrived seaplane to use its radio to contact the mainland. The pilot is, however, not there. And when eventually he gives up waiting and swims out to the plane, the radio has been bashed up and doesn't work. But he then doesn't stay at the plane to wait for the pilot to return or to try and see what's happened to the pilot. He just goes off to do something else. He does in this point have like a dream sequence because he has a dream that he gets under the dock because he thinks he sees Rowan in the water and tries to rescue her. And then he wakes up and he's still waiting on the dock, but then he looks down and he's like, oh, I'm holding a drowning girl. And then he wakes up again, which is weird because later on they do do the whole thing where he sees Rowan drowning for real and it's not a dream sequence. I was kind of hoping that this section would also be real, but it's not. Because he doesn't really want to do any police work like trying to find out where the pilot is, he immediately goes to see Dr. Moss who is reading a book called Rituals of the Ancients, which she hastily closes when he comes in. She says that she can get him a copy of the Harvest picture, but this isn't good enough for him because he then decides to hide in a bush outside until she is summoned by two women wearing red beekeeping suits, um, which do look very cool and creepy, and I wish, again, more had been made of them. He then breaks in to read in the ritual book about sacrificing people in fertility rituals. He searches through the doctor's possessions and finds some fetuses in jars, which I guess gross him out. It's not clear if these are male fetuses or not, which would have been slightly more interesting, but just fetuses in jars. He then finds Rowan's picture already uh, developed and in a book and there's a notation that says it's the worst harvest on record. This doesn't quite have the punch of the original which showed like the girl standing with the empty boxes and baskets which should have held crops because in the picture she's with hives and it's you know a hive looks like a hive whether it's full of honey or not so uh, it doesn't it doesn't really translate that well so they I guess they just had to write on it that it was the worst harvest. He then confronts Willow about the ritual what people said about death and rebirth but she tells him basically nothing uh, and then they make out it, it becomes wildly obvious here that the two of them are a total mismatch i just can't picture them being in a relationship so um that's unfortunate edward then stumbles across some guys trying to load logs onto a cart uh, on his way to sister summer's Isle's house and he stops to help them only to have to tackle one of them out of the way when the logs fall uh, the guy doesn't say anything, and Edward seems a bit creeped out by this, but I'm guessing that none of the guys have tongues. This is never really confirmed, but it would have been cool if it had been. On his way to Somazar's house, he then goes through a field full of beehives. The field is kind of mowed into hexagons, which is kind of cool uh, and part of the aesthetic of the film, which I really like. But he then accidentally bumps into a beehive, and there is then like a high-speed bee chase 
as he flees across a field and like rolls down a hill uh, being chased and stung by bees. I swear they tell you that if you're ever being swarmed by bees, you should lie down and not run away because they'll just chase you more. Like they're attracted to movement or something. But apparently he never got that memo. So high speed bee chase. It's so dramatic. There's then another dream sequence, which is completely pointless. And he wakes up in a bed in the Summer's Isle house being tended to by Dr. Moss, who says that she tended to his stings in the old way, but then doesn't specify what that was. Whereas I would be quite interested because apparently she has some sort of miracle cure for anaphylactic shock. Edward then gets dressed, but not before checking that his gun is still loaded. Again, I wish they'd done something here with like the phallic symbol lesson and the fact that he has this gun with him, but no, that's just left to dangle as well, if you'll forgive the phallic pun. And uh, then he goes to meet with Sister Summer's Isle, who basically tells him a little bit about the island. She talks about the beekeepers and he says that he's seen a lot of them around. And then she says that, yes, it takes a lot of them to keep order. Kind of makes it sound like the beekeepers are almost like the secret police force of the island, which he does not comment on. He then asks to exhume the body and is given permission to. Uh, Summersar says that she is not convinced that there has been a murder because they don't murder on the island. And he says that even if someone consents to it, it's still murder, which... I guess it's kind of setting up, obviously, the thing we all know is happening at the end where his own hubris is going to lead him into the teeth of the Wicker Man, but he very much does not consent to be murdered at the end, so I'm confused as to why this point is here. Sister Summer's Isle then reveals that she is the heart of the colony and the goddess's representative on Earth, so this is a goddess-worshipping cult as opposed to a sun-god-worshipping cult, but there appears to be no real difference between the two, aside from the fact that Lady Summer's Isle is now there instead of Lord Summer's Isle, so again I wish they differentiated it a little bit more, but I guess that would have meant coming up with original ideas and not just copying the first film. <laughs> Sister Summer's Isle does say, however, that her ancestors uh, came to America because they rebelled against the suppression of the feminine, and that they first settled near Salem, which is a bad call, but then migrated to the island, so there's some lore in there about, I guess, them fleeing persecution from people who wanted a patriarchal religion, but it's not really spelled out or developed in any way. It's just this conversation and Edward does not ask the right questions. So that's all we're left with. Sister Summersal gives a brief breakdown on some women who leave, but they always return, even if they found a man elsewhere. And then talks about males when uh, Edward says that they must be second class citizens. She says that they're very important for breeding and then gives a kind of eugenics-esque speech about how they want the, the best of their kind, which Edward assumes means women. But there are men on the island, so clearly men are being born. So I'm not really sure what this speech has to do with because he seems to think that they don't have male children when clearly they must. So, um, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And he then says that he's looking for my little girl. So, again, there's that ownership thing. And she criticises him as being from a normal society, whereas his society is no more normal than theirs. Which, I mean, I would agree with, except for the whole, like, it's clearly not normal. Because we all know that they're going to burn him alive in a giant wicker man. So... Her protestations don't really mean that much, and it just comes across as kind of flimsy. 
He then cycles away on his like vintage bicycle, which I don't know where he got it. But I swear as he cycles away from the house, he is grinning like a lunatic. So I guess Nicolas Cage was just really enjoying riding that bike, because otherwise it didn't make any sense. There you go. He's off to exhume a body, which he decides to do in the dead of night, because he has permission. Why is he there at night? I guess because it's meant to be a spooky, spooky horror film, and they just remembered that again. So, uh... He goes there to dig up the body, but there's just a burnt-looking doll there. He then hears some crying and follows it to the now mysteriously unlocked flooded catacombs. So uh, he goes down there uh, and finds Rowan's wet monogrammed cardigan in the water. He unlocks like a grate and then goes bodily into the, the flooded crypt. Uh, but then a keeper appears behind him and shuts the trapdoor, locking him in the water. I don't know what the point of this was meant to be, because there's definitely enough air down there. And also the door has like crossbeams where he can hang on and won't drown or anything. Also, they don't want him dead because they have to put him in the big wicker man and he needs to be alive for that bit. So again, this just seems to have been put there to be mildly horrifying, but it just comes off as kind of wasting my time. Uh, so he's there, he's mildly cold, I guess, because he's out there in the night time, and then he has the dream again, but now he relives the conversation with the lady cop, and she turns into some bees, which is, I guess, off-putting. Like, you know, you ever meet a nice woman, and she turns out to just be a cloud of bees? <sighs> you can't trust them. Anywho, he's then rescued by Willow, who continues to be about as useful as a wet flannel with massive eyeballs. And uh, he shows her the doll, giving us that classic meme-worthy line, how did this get burned? How did it get burned? How did it get burned? God, God love Nicolas Cage. Anyway, he says he has a feeling something bad will happen and that she should go to her house and lock herself in. Which I'm going to call back to the fact that he was watching a Western at the beginning. This is a very kind of Western-esque line to me. It feels very much like, you know, the black hats are riding into town, little missy. Go lock yourself up in the saloon and don't open the door for anybody unless they want a sarsaparilla. It very much feels like he wants to be the star of a western. He wants to be the lawman riding in and, and making it all okay in this great American tradition. And he seems to think that that is the role that he is in, when obviously we know he's not. And I feel like the movie could have been a bit more clever about that and could have mixed a little bit more of it into the plot, just to make it more cohesive, to make the symbolism a bit more obvious, to make it more make sense. But they didn't do that because on the one hand, they're trying to do this whole patriarchy matriarchy american lawman storyline but they're also trying to do the original storyline as well and those two things don't necessarily meet in any consistent way his first port of call is to go back to sister summer's house and break in there's no one there like he runs around shouting her name but no one answers and he opens the door to a random bedroom where there's a guy covered in warts and with a, a slightly disfigured face just chilling in a bed and Nicolas Cage just like recoils from him in horror, but it's not clear why he's there. He's just, just sitting in bed. And again, the film, I guess, wants you to think that that's horrific, but it's just a man with some warts. Leave him alone. He then opens the door to find a naked lass covered in bees, which, I mean, I'll admit that that is a little bit more concerning, but just lead with that. Why lead with wart guy? Uh, but he sees her covered in bees and then runs away. And we see upstairs Sister Summersile lying in a four-poster bed wearing a full-length polo neck yellow silk dress. It's never clear why she's lying in this bed surrounded by her handmaidens, I guess, because it's a cool image and looks creepy. But 
No practical use. Meanwhile, Edward runs outside and then hijacks Rose's bicycle at gunpoint because he's a sane, rational person. She calls him a brave knight and generally seems to mock him for his attempts at heroism, which, I mean, I'm with her. He comes across the blind twins again and then reaches the meeting house, which is now full of men. None of them will talk to him when he tries to rouse them to action. And when he pushes one of them, he makes kind of like a muffled groaning noise, which seems to imply that he doesn't have a tongue. But the full horror of this is never confirmed or allowed to sink in before Edward is dashing off madly to Nicolas Cage at someone else. He barges into someone's house to search it and unmask her children, just like in the original movie, and very loudly shouts that he doesn't need permission because he's the law. Uh, he then continues to search houses and kick in doors. And then is much aggrieved when he comes outside to find that someone has stolen his stolen bike. God, if it isn't nailed down. Anywho, he goes to find the seaplane, which has sunk and there's just like a wing sticking up. It's a pity he wasn't concerned about it before now. He then finds just lying on the beach the pilot with his eyes and mouth sewn shut. But again, the horror of this isn't really allowed to sink in before he's running off to do something else. He arrives at the meeting house to find Sister Oak and Sister Birch discussing the business at the harbour which has been taken care of and Birch reveals that she will be dressed as a bear for the procession at the ritual thing that they're doing. Edward punches her unconscious which I'm not saying is like unwarranted at this point but I feel like he could have maybe talk to her a little bit before he just decked her but there we go. The festival procession begins there are some adorable kids dressed as bees which I loved and uh, Nicolas Cage is then attacked by the barmaid whose name I don't know who like screams a bunch and attacks him and then he kicks her into the wall of like summer queen pictures like he's bruce lee she she just goes flying it's quite funny he then dresses up as the bear and joins the procession when the procession is complete it is revealed that rowan is tied to a stake and uh, he charges up there to rescue her punching another woman in the face he unties her and then they flee into the woods together his flip phone then rings, because I guess he's in the one part of the island that gets signal somehow. And he shouts that it's Pete, but we don't hear Pete say anything. Pete doesn't seem to hear him. Nothing comes of this phone call, so it was a bit weird to include it in the film. Uh, but there we go. He then like chases after Rowan because she runs off and chases her straight back to where everyone has gathered for the climax of the film that we all knew was going to come. He's told by his sister Summersile that they needed a stranger connected by blood to be their sacrifice and his fate was sealed many years ago when Willow chose him. So somehow this has been planned for a while even though their harvest had only recently failed. It's unclear if they just had a a sacrifice in the back pocket just in case but that seems to be the uh, the overarching theme many people unmask themselves then and it's revealed that the blonde lady cop who turned into bees in his dream that one time it is also one of the cult members as are the mother and daughter from the car accident which i, I guess we kind of saw coming when their bodies weren't found it is then revealed as he like tries to hold them at bay with his gun or phallic symbol that uh, willow has taken the bullets out of it which would have been an interesting metaphor if they'd ever explicitly described the gun as a phallic symbol uh, they then subdue him because you know he's nicholas cage and he needs to be stopped he calls them all bitches which i guess is fair and uh, then says killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey which is another great memeable line they then break his legs which is quite harrowing i have to admit and then they put a bee hat on him which is basically just like a wicker 
hat that has a hole in the top where you could administer the bees. And again, we get the memorable lines of, Not the bees! Oh god, not the bees! They're in my eyes! The CGI bees are in fact in his eyes, but he does continue to scream, which questionable because aren't you then just inhaling bees if they were real bees which they transparently are not uh, they then EpiPen him which makes this whole bee performance completely pointless uh, and then they take him to the wicker man now obviously there has to be a wicker man because it's the film is the wicker man that's what they're trying to make but they set it on fire which is exactly what they did in the original whereas I would have said wouldn't it be cooler if you put him in the wicker man and then filled it full of bees because then it's like you are sacrificing him directly to the bees who you want to give you lots of honey and a good harvest. I think there's actually a type of bee that eats flesh. There is a species of bee called vulture bees and they eat meat but still make honey from nectar. So wouldn't it be cool if this whole island community was somehow making their living from these like carnivorous bees that they then have to feed somebody to as a sacrifice? That would have been way cool and a lot cooler than what actually happens. So what actually happens is they shove him in the wicker man and then Rowan sets it on fire because... That's how the first movie ended and that's how this one must end as well, as unimaginative as that might be. He then, like, burns to death in The Wicker Man. Dr. Moss takes a picture and then the head of The Wicker Man falls off, like, onto the camera. So that's the end of the film and then the credits roll. I was expecting there to be some sort of, like, extra scene at the end because obviously he managed to contact Pete. Pete knew where he was going. Uh, I wanted to see maybe a little bit more about Pete. Maybe he was going to be approached by Willow or one of the other girls, maybe the uh, barmaid, to father a child with her and therefore set up their next sacrifice. But the movie doesn't do that either. It just ends. So so that's all they all they wrote. I recently, having recorded the review and not being in any way influenced anymore after having already obviously voiced my opinions, went to listen to the Flophouse episode on The Wicker Man because I love the Flophouse podcast. You should definitely listen to it if you if you like the film reviews that I do because they look at loads of little gems of bad film. But they did one on The Wicker Man and there was some confusion even in their review because some of them watched a version which had an end credit scene with James Franco in it where he's just in a bar and approached by the barmaid. So... I guess I was sort of partially right in that there is that scene, but my version didn't have it. Some of the versions they watched didn't have it. Some of the versions they watched didn't even have the bit where they put the bee hat on Nicolas Cage, which is like the best part of the fucking film. They just black that bit out, I guess, to make it a PG-13 because kids want to watch this movie, undoubtedly. But um, yeah, apparently that scene does exist, just not in the version that I have. And I googled it to try and find it on YouTube, but no one has uploaded the post credit scene from The Wicker Man, shockingly. So I think there are some interesting ideas in this. I do like the, the bee thing, the kind of idea of there being a queen bee and the males being dispensable drones. I think it would have been cool if they had like maybe referred to the men on the island as drones. Uh, they do at the end, they kind of chant the drone must die, but that's mostly just about Nicolas Cage. And I think, you know, if you're going to cut the tongues out of men so they can't talk, they can just drone. That would be an interesting kind of horrific take for that to go down. I also wish that they'd done something more with the concept of the bees, a sacrifice appropriate for those bees, like, you know, if they eat flesh or they're just going to let them, like, sting him to death. Um, so that was a bit disappointing that they didn't really take much from the stuff that they'd added to the film and extrapolate it to make it more original and more interesting. What they've actually done is just remake the original film with a couple of cosmetic differences and a great new aesthetic, which I like, but 
it doesn't have the same weight as the original those like juxtapositions between invading christianity and, and the pagan community aren't really there and they didn't really do enough to really define uh, edward's character as to what would put him at odds with the community his motive is mostly personal when he gets there so you don't really have that sense of like warring values warring communities which is a real shame also because it's Nicolas Cage a lot of the lines just become ridiculous I feel like he knows that they're ridiculous but the things that he says and the way he says them there's a reason they've become memes and that's because they're hilarious and um, it's really unfortunate that there's this um, air of unintentional comedy in a lot of the stuff that's happening, uh, which kind of ruins some of the, of the horror. And also when they've tried to make it more horror-y, like when he gets jump scared by a bird in a desk or falls through a bit of rotten floor, they try and make that into scares when it's not really. Um, the whole idea of the original Wicker Man is the sense of like creeping dread of unreality of something underneath the surface being wrong. It's not necessarily scary in the same way that like Friday the 13th is scary, that they're different types of emotions and I don't think this film really knows which of those things it wants to be, so ha! <laughs> B. I think I've been kind of ruined because I've watched other films that are a lot worse than this and that this is no longer like one of the worst films that I've ever seen. There are definitely some interesting bits in there. The aesthetic of Summer's Isle and the people there reminds me of Midsummer, which obviously was made after it. It has that kind of like Scandinavian look to it occasionally. I love the, the setup, the bee imagery in the hexagonal fields. I wish there'd been more uh, honeycomb hive appearances like maybe if the buildings had been a bit more like hive shaped um i wish the roles of the men on the island had been better defined and they'd gone into that a bit more even if it meant that the rating of the film was like an 18 i feel like because it's more modern than the original you can show us more horrific stuff you can show us um why the men are there how they're kept how they deal with male children because we only see adult men and not like younger boys like where are they are they raised separately are they educated they could really dig into that idea of like because obviously in our society there was a period where boys were educated more than girls um they could really played around with that concept and made it a bit more detailed built a bit more of the world but they didn't and that's unfortunate so what we're left with is a film that kind of feels like on the one hand a step-by-step remake and also a couple of ideas into it that don't fully mesh with what they're trying to do uh, in terms of remaking the original so it's a little bit disappointing and I feel like the, the addition of Nicolas Cage and his cageisms didn't really do it any favours so there you have it folks we finally looked at the Wicker Man remake now we just have to wait for them to remake it again because I know they will one day and I'll be waiting. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this review. Get in touch if you have any other films that you want me to look at, any other kind of famous examples like The Wicker Man, some folk horror. I kind of feel like I'm lacking for that at the moment. Get in touch in the normal ways. Don't forget to go follow me on Instagram at Witchfix Podcast to see like some pictures of what I'm doing, what I'm getting up to, what I'm watching, what I'm reading. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one.